Hello, everybody. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. Uh, this is experience number 59, and we are starting a new series today, and it's called Seeing God in a Pandemic. And I had this idea a few days ago to just talk to and interview uh, people who have been affected by this pandemic differently, their life, their job. And so I started reaching out to healthcare workers and teachers and pastors and students just uh, to, to get their perception of all of this and uh, see if they would let me interview them. And they started saying yes. And so this is the first one. And the idea here is that we are in the midst of uh, turmoil, we could, we could call it. This is not something I believe that God created to get our attention, but this is something that even this, God can work through to reveal himself, to show himself to us, and to bring about good things in a crummy situation. So this is Seeing God in a Pandemic, and our first interview is with my friend, Dr. Dan Bates. I know Dan, I've known him for a couple, two, over two years now, uh, closer to three probably. Uh, Dan has two daughters and one of his daughters is good friends with my daughter and his younger daughter is the same age as my son. Dan and I have actually worked together briefly in the healthcare world. Uh, Dan and his family live in our neighborhood and Dan, here's the kind of guy Dan is and the kind of family Dan is a part of. 2000, October of 2018, I quit my job without, um, another job to go to, which I don't highly recommend all the time, uh, but I, I did it and Dan knew why I did it. And one day shortly after Dan shows up at our house with an Instapot <laughs> and a meal for the Instapot and a gift card to our local grocery store. So this is, that's who Dan is. And so I'm thrilled that uh, not only is he doing this, but he's our first interview. So Dr. Dan Bates, a man I respect, a husband I respect, a father I respect, a doctor I respect. So Dan, welcome to What's True for Everybody. Thanks for having me, Matt. You're welcome. How about that intro? Um, <laughs> I'll see if I can live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Okay. Um, so first, Dan, tell us just your background and your job. What do you do and kind of how did you get there? Yeah, so I'm a family physician by training. Um, I uh, started off my, actually started off my career in the pharmaceutical industry of all places uh, as an engineer. Uh, and then uh, through some personal health experiences, I transitioned to wanting to do medicine. And I went to, uh, left my, my life of engineering behind and I went to medical school. Uh, I, uh, I met my lovely wife, Megan, right before I started medical school the, the spring before. Uh, and so she's been with me through my whole journey. Uh, so I went to medical school at the University of Colorado, and then I did my residency in family and community medicine at UC Davis uh, in Sacramento. Uh, and then came uh, screaming back to Colorado uh, when we were <laughs> done out in, in California. Um, while I was in medical school, uh, I had, uh, actually we had our, our, our first daughter, Anna, in medical school, and then I had our, we had our second daughter, Scarlett, in residency. So I was a uh, struggling student with a wife and two kids. And uh, in residency, I started doing a lot of moonlighting, a lot of working on the side uh, in urgent cares, particularly. Uh, we moved back to Colorado. I started at one of the community health centers here in town uh, doing primary care. I was on a primary care scholarship through med school. So 
paid that back and I had a brief foray of owning my own clinic uh, in Greeley. I had bought a little urgent care out there, which uh, a long, a long, long story short, didn't turn out too well uh, and ended up uh, having to, to close that down. Uh, but in the process of, I was, I was trying to sell my clinic but, uh, to, to Banner Health. Uh, they were smart enough to know they didn't want my clinic, but uh, they were uh, foolish enough to hire me. Uh, so I started uh, for Banner Health in uh, the end of 2018, and I've been uh, uh, the, uh, the provider lead or medical director for their urgent cares in Northern Colorado since then. I also do uh, 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 occupational medicine, more comp medicine uh, for them as well in, in the city of Greeley, so taking care of a lot of employees out there. And uh, the other thing that I've dabbled in, which uh, up until about six months ago was my my my, my other other job, was uh, in addictions. So uh, I ran the uh, addictions or program for the community health center uh, while I was there, and then I worked for Front Range Clinic in Fort Collins, uh, doing addictions medicine there also. Nice. So if I get hurt and have to go to urgent care, UC Health in Northern Colorado, I can just ask for. Dan Bates, he runs the place. Yeah, yeah, well, Banner. So I run Banner Health. Banner, okay. uh, Yeah, sorry, yeah UC Health is our, 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 our arch rival turned <laughs> best friend in this pandemic. Yeah, uh, yeah there's, uh, there's, a, there, there's enough chaos to go around right now. So we're, <laughs> we're in this as a team. <laughs> uh, yeah, I messed, I messed up your employer, but that gave me an idea for a later question. So I'm glad I did it. Okay. All right. Okay, so... For uh, the listeners, there, there's two parts that I want to happen to this conversation. The first is I want to ask, how has this pa pandemic affected, so in this case, Dan, your, your life, your work, your routine, and um, you can come at this from a couple of different perspectives, as most people can. One is as a healthcare worker, the other is as a husband and father, because there's some things I just learned about you <laughs> before we started recording that I, I didn't know that's transpired over the last couple of weeks. Um, and then the second half uh, for the listeners will be in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything that we're experiencing, how have you seen God? What have you seen God doing? How have you seen God working in you and others in the world? Like what good has come out of this? Um, and then, and, and where is God taking you? Those kinds of questions. So, so Dan, um, you can pick whichever one you want to go after first, either from professional or personal how has this pandemic affected you, your routine, your life? Uh, it, it's, it's had a lot of effects, I would say. I think the most dramatic effects, and it's, I think it's the most dramatic effects for everybody, has been in, in, you know, in, in the personal. Um, uh, so uh, for folks who, who know myself and my family, uh, my wife Megan uh, survived breast cancer a couple mm -hmm. years ago. And... Uh, had chemotherapy and the and the whole thing and is still in you know it's, it's a long recovery uh from uh that kind of a that kind of a treatment you know you you it's, it's like uh, if you remember the princess bride you know you yeah. nearly dead all day like that's what chemo is you know like you, you you poison people just enough to kill the cancer and hopefully don't kill the rest of them yeah. and so the recovery is really long and hard and it takes Know, years really and sometimes you never really fully recover from that and so after that you know major event uh, and spending two years actively actually working to save my wife's life uh, uh, with her doctors and her and in our family you know everyone banding together then we're faced with this pandemic and we, we just don't know how her body how her system will respond mm -hmm. if she gets infected with uh, the COVID 
coronavirus. Um, and so that's really made us have to have a lot of really hard choices about how we conduct ourselves, how we, how we live our lives. Um, I actually ended up moving out of the house about uh, three weeks, almost a month ago. Uh, I'm a doctor. I'm right in the middle of this. I'm a frontline healthcare provider in, in the urgent cares. We're seeing people come in with coronavirus. Probably every other patient right now is every uh, other is, patient. Every other patient right now is wow. is uh, someone with coronavirus. Most of them are mild. Most of them we can send home, but there are some really severe people. There are really sick people, and you know it's our it's our job. It's our our professional duty to to respond and help those people. And so I I can't help but be exposed on a daily basis. And uh, uh, we made the decision that it probably was not a good idea if I was communing with my my wife and my kids. Yeah. Uh, and so I moved out of the house. I actually ended up buying a travel trailer <laughs> and uh, I was living in an, a, a seven by 17 foot box uh, for about three weeks. Uh, I also tricked my wife into letting me buy a travel trailer. here, So <laughs> something I'd wanted to do anyway. So uh, uh, we've got a, we've got a fun toy for camping once this is all, <laughs> all yeah. over. Where so was, that's the, where was the trailer parked? Uh, so I actually parked it on my mom's farm. Uh, okay. She's a little farm in Longmont. So uh, uh, I, uh, I was uh, camping out, uh, camping out there. Uh, and then uh, I, my, my wife and kids ended up uh, going uh, to live with my in-laws since they'd been quarantined for a couple of weeks. We're doing really well. Everyone was healthy. Uh, we kind of, uh, they're helping her homeschool the kids and, and take <laughs> care of everything else right now. And I'm back in the house now. So uh, yeah. I don't have to worry about the, the six feet of snow in my little propane furnace. Uh, <laughs> coming up here uh or the six inches that we're supposed to get uh yeah. so uh you know and and uh it's been you know it's been almost a month since i kissed my wife uh it's wow. been uh probably actually a little bit more than that because i was on quarantine for a week uh in our guest room before uh before i ended up moving out um and uh you know the last time i i physically saw my children was uh easter uh sunday i drove uh drove up to see them and uh Dropped them off some Easter presents uh, that I had you know, soaked with <laughs> with <laughs> denatured alcohol to clean them all off, uh, and uh, waved at them from the from the driveway from about twenty feet away. So it's uh, it's been a, a major change on yeah. uh, on on that setting. So um, you know I know yeah. they're well. I know they're taken care of. You know I know my kids are well taken care of. I know my wife is safe right now, and that means everything. You know mm -hmm. it's difficult to not be able to interact with the ones that you love. Um, but when, you know, it's kind of this question of what's the, what's the fatherly choice? You know, what is the, what is the, what is the choice with the best outcome? And, you know, I can, I can suffer the, you know, the, the emotional, uh, or can, I can stand the emotional suffering of, of not being around them and, and not being able to be close to them right now, if it means that they're safe, you know, and that's the, yeah. that's the number one priority. Um, so and I think the, that's the long pardon? term, the long term. Yeah. What's beneficial yeah, long term. Absolutely. And I think that that's the, in a situation like this, I think that's what you have to do, you know, and you're going to, everyone's going to go through short term, major changes to their lifestyle, major changes to their routine, major changes to their family and their friends and their communities. And the real question is, is always keeping in mind, why, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. What is the, what is the goal that we're working for? And if we have a good enough, why, if we have a good enough meaning, then we can get through anything. And, uh, you know, keeping my wife and kids safe is, is probably my, my highest purpose. That's probably yeah. my highest meaning. And so whatever, whatever the world wants to throw at me right now, as long as they're safe and as long as they're well taken care of, then, then 
then that's where I'm at. Wow. That's good. That's, I love it. I love that thought, that thought process. Um, okay. So before we even get to like how this affects your job as, as a doctor, you have all sorts of stuff going on family wise. I mean, buying trailers and moving out. So your wife isn't exposed and you being exposed every day. Um, you, what is it? We're recording this on Wednesday, the 15th Easter was three days ago. You haven't seen, you got to wave to him on Easter, but haven't yep. like been able to hug him. Um, so like everyone, I, I say everyone is losing something in all of this. Um, you're losing a bunch. <laughs> I, I think that I get, I have to put the pause button on a lot of things yeah. for a moment. Yeah. And it's one of these things like you, sometimes you have to, it, it's, it's like that, the, the, the classic thing, if you love them, let them go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you temporarily, you know, temporarily. <laughs> right. And, and that's what I think like most of life boils down to, especially like adult life is, you know, can you make that hard, that, that, that decision that's hard in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, can you make the decision to, you know, save your money to, you know, to, uh, you know, not, not do whatever gives you that, that instantaneous comfort or joy and, uh, or that instantaneous pleasure or joy. And then, you know, really invest in things that are going to bring you that long-term, you know, long-term joy, long-term benefit and, and really meet your long-term goals. Um, and, uh, you know, that I've, I've seen a lot of suffering in, in my career and in, in, in my life, you know, personally, professionally, I, I live in a realm of, of other people's suffering. Constantly. And mm. especially when I was in the addictions clinic, there are very few people who suffer more than people who are in the, in the depths of addiction. Mm. If you want to see the, you know, the, the it, it, I, I have stories that chill anyone's bones, honestly, from, from working in that, that arena and, and taking care of those, those, those folks. Oh. And, uh, you know, we, we all, we all experience suffering and really it's, you know, whether we let that suffering overwhelm us, whether we let it kind of take us down, or whether we learn that, whether we use that to, to, to learn what really matters mm. in life. And I think that that's, that suffering always throws into sharp contrast what really matters and what doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, uh, I was working full-time. I was running a business. I was basically working two full-time jobs. You know, I'd leave my full-time job in the community health center. I would go to my clinic and, uh, you know, and, and do the books and everything. And then on the weekends, I was working in that clinic. It was a seven-day-a-week urgent care. You know, I, I, I'd wake up at – I had myself trained. I would wake up at midnight every night hmm. uh, and, and check the accounts. Like, I, I – on the mark, I would wake up as soon as twelve oh one in the in the in the night. I would wake up, roll over, check the bank account, see what the deposits were from the day before. You know, uh, you know, see if I had uh, had enough in the in the accounts to to meet my payroll and, and pay my employees and 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 whatnot. And uh, you know, I I was it was uh, it was it was man, it was it was a lot. It was really driving me to the point of of just absolute burnout. And then here I am sitting with all this stuff going on, absolutely on the edge of burnout, actually very much deep in, into that realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then to get blindsided with something like my wife's cancer mm-hmm. comes out of really nowhere at us. I mean, she caught it miraculously early, thank God. Uh, literally, thank God. <laughs> I, I, and I, I, it, it just, 
everything that I had been worried about. You know, I was worried about, uh, you know, the, 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 the politics at, at, at my, in my workplace, you know, I was worried about the, you know, the, the financials of my business, all these things and whatnot. All those things that, that had been so consuming to me just got kind of obliterated. They just got blown out the window and just really got put into sharp contrast with what really mattered to me. Yeah. In that moment, what wouldn't I have done to, to protect my wife and help my wife? And I made a hard choice. I shut down my business. I, you know, rather than pursuing that, I, I made the decision to close that down, lay off my employees and find an employer where I could have health insurance. So, cause that was what was most important at the, at the time. Uh, thankfully I found a really great company. I was able to move all of my staff over with me. Uh, so, uh, no one was, no one in the end was out of a job. Uh, and, uh, uh it's turned out to be an amazing experience. Uh, but you know, I, I always go back to that. It's just like, what really matters to us is often clouded. Hmm. What the true meaning is that we have is is so often clouded in other things. You know, it's clouded in you know our in materialism. It's clouded in pride. It's cl- it's clouded in jealousy, envy. You name it. It's clouded. And then some the, the earthquake hits. You know, everything gets shaken down. That tower of cards of perception gets shaken down. And then you're left with what there what really matters to you and i see that process going on with this pandemic and mm-hmm. i and i'm i might be kind of a sick individual i don't know but <laughs> i if, having come from the you know working in the addictions arena i love rock bottom mm. i think rock bottom is the most beautiful thing that a person can experience you know when you have suffered something that has caused that that, that death of the ego, that existential death where you feel like you cannot go on. Things cannot persist in the way that they're persisting. Otherwise you will die or, or you have died. And you're that yeah. death of the ego has died. That's a beautiful place to be. Hmm. Because in that place, you understand what true meaning is. And you can move forward, you can move forward in a, in, in, you know, in, in a good way choose to live in a way that's congruent with what your real meaning is. And I think about our society, I think about our economy, I think about our, you know, our political, you know, uh, establishments and whatnot, our medical establishment, all of these things, this world of hyper productivity and, you know, and materialism that we've, that we've kind of grown up around us, that's falling down right now. It's mm. crumbling. You know, people's, uh, people who have a job that is non-essential are not working right now. And the question is, why is your job non-essential? And if your job is non-essential, why are you doing it? Hmm. Why were you doing it before if it didn't really matter? And how do we move to a place? How do we move to a world where we are all doing what matters, where we are all doing what is essential, where we are all focused on what really matters? You know, What really matters is the life of your neighbor next door. You're not whether you can go to Target and buy new hand towels, right? <laughs> you know, or not whether you can, you know, uh, you know, not whether you can, you know, go to your job selling some, you know, something that doesn't matter to someone's existence to someone else, right? You know, what, what really matters is our community. It's the people in our community. It's those connections, those relationships. You know, everyone is someone's relative. Everyone is someone's mom. Everyone is someone's son. Everyone is someone's daughter or brother, or husband, or father, everyone is someone. And, you know, we are all 
doing this process, we are all quarantining, we are all social distancing, we're all in this, because that's what's really, what really matters. And you see it. And I think that's one of those things. I think, you know, you asked me, where do I see God working in this pandemic? And I would say the 90, you know, 85 to 90% of people who are complying with stay-at-home orders, who are limiting their interaction, who are doing social distancing appropriately, that's where I see God working. Mm. You have, nice. you know, right. God is... Can we pause that for a second? Yeah. Okay. Um, the other question I think with, by the way, listeners, if, if you hear the, the sound going up and down, that's not you, that's us. Um, almost, all or almost what of, all of what Dan is saying you can hear because I can hear it, uh, but you're not going crazy. We, we tried to figure out something with the sound, couldn't do it. So we're in a pandemic. What can you do? We're going for it. Um, the other question with essential is essential to who? Because I know people who... Yeah they're not working because they can't, but what they were doing is really, really good work and meaningful and what they're passionate and gifted towards. Um, so it's hard, man. It's hard to. Yeah. I mean, we have to it. figure out ways to work differently and how these things fit. And I agree with you. There are things that are, you know, and honestly, when I say non-essential, I don't mean non-essential to the people doing it. You yeah, know, yeah. like if, if you have a job and that is your livelihood right now and you aren't able to work it and your family is suffering financially, I, 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 feel for you yeah. so deeply having yeah. been in similar situations in the past I, I i don't think there's a time since i've been 14 years old that i didn't have two jobs <laughs> uh you know i know that i know the hustle yeah. uh and uh and i know um, i know what it's like to try to support a family through and, and you know keep 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 you know ends to you know uh, just trying to make things meet in the middle somewhere you know yeah, um yeah I, uh, and you know, we, we will get back to, to some life as, as usual, uh, but hopefully with a different perspective on, on what really matters to mm -hmm. us. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I tell people like they ask what it's like working in hospice. And my, one of my first reactions is I'm learning things you can only learn from people who are dying. Yeah. You know, and I always have this Absolutely. question. I always have this question for them. It's, um, what's one thing you wish everyone knew. And what I'm asking is, you know, you're, you're towards the end of your life. You're, you might be days, weeks, months, I don't know, maybe years, but, um, you're looking back, you're reflecting a lot. What I'm, what I'm really asking is what actually matters and what doesn't. And it's, it's to your point. Um, I never walk away with like, whatever they say, it's never like, Oh, I never thought of that. It's, it's a reminder of, Oh, it's family. It's yeah. giving people, it's it, enjoying it the day, you know? <laughs> And it's so cliche, right? Yeah, it's yeah. so obvious to us. If we, if we put a little bit of thought into it, it's so obvious to us. But it's so obvious. It's so much background that it fades into, you know, it, it, it turns mm -hmm. into background. We, we take it for granted, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's yeah. there for us every day. It's, you know, our, our family's there for us. Our spouse is there for us. Our kids are there for us until they're not. Right. Right, you know, right. until we have that sharp contrast yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, and those things are threatened, then we don't often realize how much exactly they mean to us. Yeah. Okay. I have some doctor questions for you. Is that fine? All right. Okay. I, have, I have doctor answers for you. So yeah, <laughs> you're on the front lines of this. And I remember early on, you felt some symptoms and you stayed home. Oh, you even mentioned er earlier, um, you self-quarantined for, I don't know, would you say a week, seven days? A week. Yeah. Okay. I self-quarantined for a week while I was waiting for my test to come back. And it was negative. It was negative. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how much stock to put in those negatives. Yeah. Though. We, we, there is a, there's a reasonable false negative with all the rate with all these yeah. tests. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to say for sure. Okay. So you go back to work and you, I mean, even before that you were, I think you told me 
you're exposed every day that week. Um, yeah. And, and since then, I'm sure you've been exposed every day. Yes. Um, okay. So, so what happens? Someone comes in and says, I am coughing, tight chest, fever. What's the first thing you do? First thing we do is we get a mask on that person. Okay. That's the very first thing that we do. Uh, the best way to use masks, masks are there to actually protect people from you if you're sick. If you think about how we, like our procedure masks, the ones that we, that we wear, uh, like when we're doing surgery and whatnot, that's not to protect us from the patients. That's to protect the, the patients from us when we're opening their skin, where we're doing those sorts of things. And so best thing that we can do with one of those patients, first thing we do to protect our staff, protect other clinics in the patient, or other, other patients in the clinic, uh, is we get a mask on that person right away. Next thing we do, we get them back to a room as soon as we can. Uh, we try to limit their interaction with, you know, unprotected staff and particularly with other patients. So in our clinics, actually, uh, if someone's coming in with respiratory symptoms, you know, cough, fever, uh, sore throat, those sorts of things, if we don't have a room available for them, we actually have them wait in the car okay. until we have a room available to them. We get them right back in there. In the we car. get dressed up in our in all of our protective gear, and we take care of that patient. Is what we do, um, and you know, it's this is a really humbling disease to combat as a physician. Uh, and, and every time I see it, I, I'm, I'm continuously struck by how little there is that we have to do for this. How little, say that again. How, how little, how little, what, how little tools we have to combat this. Okay. We really have very few things that we can do. And in the end, everything that we have that we can do to, to combat the coronavirus comes down to supporting people's bodies, supporting the natural process, supporting their natural immune system, supporting their heart, their lungs, their kidneys, while their body is sorting this out. In the early stages, which we see a lot of people who are early on in the, in the coronavirus and the urgent care, our job in urgent care with this right now is really to kind of sort out the, the, the walking wounded, you know, the folks that can you know, take care of themselves at home that are in that mild, that mild category, from the people who need more evaluation, they need hospitalization, they end up needing to go to the ICU and, and mm -hmm. whatnot. So, you know, our big deciding factor is how well lung, someone's lungs are functioning. If mm -hmm. someone has, you know, my, you know, moderate symptoms, I mean, these folks, they don't feel well. No, no one coming in with this really feels moderate. Right. And there's some folks that do, but most of the folks coming in feel, feel pretty bad, like a bad flu. They're and making, really, they're not making this up. The question you're is not making this up. I'll yeah. tell you that. That's yeah. for sure. It's not, it's not a man cold. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, you know, they come in there, they're not feeling well, but it's really whether their lungs are functioning still. If their lungs are functioning still, then, you know, we, we try to, we give them good precautions, we give them good techniques to help support their body, support their breathing, other things like that. We give them good precautions on when to come back. Hmm. Folks who are having the, the more severe lung symptoms, who aren't able to oxygenate their blood appropriately, who are breathing really hard and fast and are at risk of their respiratory muscles tiring out and needing, you know, support from, a, you know, pressure support or a ventilator or whatnot, those folks we then uh, get over to the emergency room, get over to the hospital uh, so that we can give them that higher level of care that okay. they uh, that they need. Uh, a lot of my coworkers, a lot of my PAs have been have been pulled to the emergency, to the uh, uh, to the ICUs uh, wow. and uh, are uh, providing that direct care for those more severe patients. And with those severe patients, it really is about trying to maximize their lung function, trying to kind of keep their blood oxygenated, keep their kidneys going, keep their hearts going until the body finally has a time to play catch up and start clearing out that virus, developing. And, and healing things. Uh, 
So at Banner yesterday, we actually discharged our hundredth patient. Wow. Uh, from our, from our, uh, from our respiratory care unit. So that was the hundredth life that we've saved from coronavirus wow. was yesterday. And that's, well that's a, that's a huge feeling. That's a great feeling to know that we are, you know, we are we're really doing very well for our patients. And yeah. in the, you know, we've got, uh, you know, about a hundred patients that we've discharged. We've got out of the hospital with this, we've got around 70 who are currently hospitalized with coronavirus. And in all those 170 70 that are hospitalized with Corona, yeah, 70 currently from had, your, in, this is, yeah, this is, no, this is from, from Banner as a whole. From Banner. Okay. Colorado. Yeah. Uh, like UC health has similar numbers okay. to, what we're, to what we have. Uh, but in all of those 170 some patients, we haven't had one code. Wow. We haven't had, we haven't had one, uh, you know, one person go into a cardiac arrest. We haven't had to call one code on any of those patients and that's almost unheard of. And okay. that just speaks to the level of dedication, the level of attention and the high level of care that our intensivists, our hospitalists, our critical care nurses, our floor nurses, that everyone is putting into these patients right now really is in an, an amazing statistic that we haven't had one wow. person go into a cardiac arrest uh, uh, on uh, any of our, our coronavirus care units. That's awesome. Well, well, we're grateful for what you all all do because we couldn't do I couldn't do it. I know that. Okay. Um, it's the hardest part of all of this for you as a doctor. I think the hardest part of this is kind of what I was getting at before. It's just that there's a feeling of impotence here. And, you know, we're so used to someone coming into the clinic and they're suffering and they're, they're, they're hurting, they're in some distress, and you have a solution for it. And that's part of the reason why I love urgent care, because it's quick problems, you know, mm -hmm. and like er, almost every other problem that we see has a solution. You cut your finger, I'm going to stitch it up. You know, it's a really good solution. You have a sinus infection, here's your antibiotic. You know, you have a broken bone, let's put gas on it. You know, there's, there's always you know, an intervention, right? With this, there isn't one. Mm. And that's the scariest thing. Mm. I have no medication to use in the outpatient environment. You know, you know, asthma inhalers that we usually use for like bronchitis and whatnot, they don't help this at all. They don't do a single thing for it. And so you're really just identifying those sick patients, getting them where they need to go. And then the other folks, honestly, you are trying to give them good precautions and send them home, but it just feels really empty. You know, as a, as a physician, you, you feel really helpless. You don't have anything in your tool belt that you can use to help these folks. I think that's the most troubling thing as a, as a healthcare provider. You haven't, uh, actually, you haven't actually fixed anything because you can't. Exactly. Exactly. That's a hard place to be, especially for, for those of us in, you know, modern Western medicine. Yeah. We like to have a, an answer for everything. And when we don't have a reasonable answer, you know, there's, they're in development right now. We're working on them and we will eventually have one for this. But in the meantime, it's, it's really humble to know yeah. that you know, we are, we've, we've been kind of out navigated by nature. We've been out navigated <laughs> by this, uh, this disease. Yeah. Um, it's a, a lesson in there are actually things we cannot control in this world. Yes. Well, I think we, we, anyone who's done medicine more than a, for more than a few years, I think has to come to terms with that. Mm. You have to come to terms pretty quickly that you're, <laughs> that you're not Asclepius, you know, yeah. you, you, you don't have the, <laughs> the healing touch of a God. You are just a, you are a humble human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but when you don't even have a, you know, you, when you don't even have a BB gun to fire the freight train, then it's, <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, yeah. It's, it's a little daunting. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the other piece of that too is the, it, it's the personal exposure. There's personal risk there mm -hmm. as well, personal which is risk, I, yeah. you know, a, a big thing. 
we do the best that we can to try to keep ourselves and our staff safe. Uh, you know, we've made huge changes in how we work. We have no visitors in the hospital. We have no visitors in the clinic. You know, we have, we pre-triage patients as they come in the door, take temperatures. We route people into, you know, cohorted clinics and separate clinics and, and you know, get them roomed and have all of our personal protective <coughs> equipment, which is, you know, just like everywhere else in, in the world is in short supply. Uh, and so, you know, we're trying to use that as, as wisely as, as yeah. possible uh, yeah. to make sure that we don't run out, but we still stay safe. So there's that personal risk piece there. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't matter if you're young and healthy or if you have other health conditions or whatnot, I mean, we're seeing this take out otherwise healthy young people uh, and uh, otherwise healthy young healthcare providers are getting taken out by this. And so there's that huge personal risk. And uh, you start to think about all the time, effort, and energy that you put in as an investment to being where you are and doing what you do. You know, it was, you know, it, it's uh, I, I, the, the whole thing of, of, of 10,000 hours to become an, an expert in, in everything will mm -hmm. you put 10,000 hours in actually put about 12,000 hours in in medical school when you put another about 12,000 really? yeah and you put about 13,000 in in the terms in over the, the course of your residency uh you know uh, on on average so you've become you know you become an you became an expert medical student then you became an expert doctor after yeah. that uh and you know most people are not really at the, at the peak of their you know, of their their game clinically until they've been an attending physician for about five years, so another 10,000 hours or so in. And you think about all that time, effort, energy, the money investment that we've put in, the personal investment. You know, there's a lot of firsts that my kids had that I wasn't there for because mm. I was in the hospital. I was taking care of other folks. There's a lot of times where my wife had issues and, and you know, problems at home and uh, she had to step up and take care of those things because I wasn't there, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, people think of uh, the life of a of a doctor's wife as this glamorous experience, <laughs> full of you know, fancy cars and whatnot. And the truth is, she's got two kids that she's trying to take care of, and she's plunging the toilet at the same time. Yeah. And you know, and and then having to deal with me when I come home <laughs> after sixty to eighty hour week of of pumping out all of my empathy and compassion into other people and having yeah. none of that left yeah. at yeah. the end of the at the end of the day at the end of the week for yeah. kids. So which is all of that that we've put in and then we're risking that as healthcare providers. We're yeah. risking that investment. We are risking that you know we you know uh, every healthcare care worker, whether you are a CNA, whether you are a respiratory therapist, whether you are a nurse, whether you're a physician, PA, it doesn't matter what you are, you know, are incredibly valuable right now incredible mm -hmm. valuable incredibly valuable resource and have been all along yeah, really right, right. Uh, and so you know we were all we already had a shortage of all of those healthcare workers in our country and in the world in general really and so we're going to put more of those folks at risk with this and we need those resources we need those people more than ever and so yeah. there's that you know balance of you are needed this is your duty this is your you know, your, your sacred calling, your vocation as a healer, but then there's also that risk to yourself, to your family mm -hmm. that you're trying to balance out. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, I asked you to answer, Hey, personal and job, you cannot really separate that no matter what you're yeah, doing. Absolutely. I mean, so this is, this, this has not been, and this has never been a job that you leave at the office, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you know, if I, if I'm going to the grocery store, I'm still a doctor. If I'm driving down the street, I'm still a doctor. If I'm at the movies, I'm still a doctor, you know, it, it, it the same way, like you, 
you don't, when you go to work, you're not a, it's not like you're not a father at work. Yeah, right. Right. You know, right. so it's the same thing. There's, there, there's a continuum. It doesn't, you can't separate yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Good analogy. Because that, I mean, it's, it's who I am. It's what I do. And yeah. it's one of these things. It's, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a job for most of us. You know, for some of us it is, and some people compartmentalize that. But for the majority of it, this is a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what you're choosing to give yourself to. Exactly. Um, cool. All right. You have to go save more lives here in a little bit. So we, what do we have, 10 minutes, do you think? I know you have a meeting coming up. I'm going to meet at three. So I'm um, okay. Well. So, um, man, I wanted, I don't think we have time to get, I had an addiction question. So quick, like 30 seconds or less. Um, you've seen the statistics of, of how much more alcohol is being purchased since the stay at home orders. Yep. Um, what do you have to say to that? And just really briefly. I think that when we approach suffering, one of our first instinctual responses is try to, is to try to avoid it. Hmm. We try to distract ourselves. We watch Tiger King. You know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we, we try to dissociate. We try to avoid that suffering. Number. And, you know, and, and that is a, that's a natural <clears throat> process. We all do it. There, we all do the dissociation to one level or another. And this is a huge thing. And people don't have this in their experience. You know, no one alive has, uh, you know, except for maybe there's a very few people who were infants during the last you know, major pandemic, but really no one of mature age has experienced this kind of event before. Mm -hmm. And so we have the circuitry, we have the wiring, we have the organic process in our brains, in our spirits to handle this. It's there. You know, we, we evolved as creatures, as a society, as people uh, through pandemics, through disease like this. There's been many of these in the past. And so we've survived them as a race, as a, as a species, and we will survive this one. And we have the tools to do it. It's just about kind of finding out what those are. Yeah. Waking those up inside of us, you know, flexing those muscles that we've never flexed. And, you know, if you, sometimes it gets overwhelming though, and, and you need a bit of an escape from it. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing with the increased alcohol use and, and whatnot. There's some dissociation there. And Netflix know, and, and Netflix and, and you name it. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of things that yeah. people are using to distract yeah. themselves right now. So it's a matter um, of, I mean, it's, this is, this is putting it really simply a matter of committing to healthy ways of yeah. dealing the, the sad thing is, is that most of us throw away our healthy coping mechanisms as soon as something hard hits, right? The things Man, that would truly a, get us a, through. That's a good insight. We, we throw away, uh, you know, first we, we start eating poorly. We stop exercising. Mm -hmm. And as you can, and, and I'm, I'm not the bastion of self-care. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I care a lot for other people. I'm not very good at self-care, you know. Uh, I'm a good addictionologist because I have my own problems with <laughs> dissociation and self-care. Uh, and, and, and so I've, I've lived in that realm. I've lived in that place and I know what it's like. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a rough place to be. It's a yeah. hard place to get out of. And so there's, again, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's two places that we have perspective, right? We either have perspective when things are going really good yeah. and our heads kind of peek up out of the clouds. And you hit those times in your life where things are all going your direction. And then you are in this place where you, your mind is free. You're free from worry and you're able to choose. Mm -hmm. You're able to choose where you're going. You're able to see what's in front of you and choose a good direction. 
The other place that we have perspective is when we're at that rock bottom. Mm -hmm. We're at the bottom of the cliff and we're looking up from where we fell from. And so there are some folks that are going to have that experience going forward and they are masking it, they are avoiding it at the moment, uh, but it will come to, it will, it will, those things will come to fruition. Uh, yeah, I wish. Personally, I was, I've been caught up in this too. I mean, yeah. my, my trips to the, to the, my, my, my trips to the liquor store probably went up a little bit in yeah. the first you know, couple of weeks. And then, you know, this weekend I was like, yeah, this has got to stop. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is not the way to, this is not the way to, to get this done. This is not the yeah. way to, to get through this. And so, you know, this morning, yeah. instead of, you know, I got on my bike, I rode for 25 there you miles go. this morning, there you know, go. and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a large, large middle-aged man in Lycra, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. Uh, you know, and, and, and I feel so much better for that. You yeah. know, I did yoga the other day, you know, it's, it's yeah. about getting those good things back in, in your, those good habits back in yeah. and, you know, really asking yourself, does this serve my meaning? Does this mm. serve my purpose? Does this serve my meaning? Love it. That, that could be the title of this episode right here. Um, okay. So a couple more things here. And by the way, back to your rock bottom point, um, you had mentioned earlier that sometimes that's the most beautiful place to be. Um, that, that, I mean, that's what that will lead to if you let it hopefully is resurrection. I mean, that's death and resurrection. Yeah. Right and we're in the Easter season right now. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, that, it's that ego death, right? It's that death of that, of that flawed self-concept, right? The way that I think about it is like, we're all, we're all born with this, you know, this, this, this thing at the center of us, you know, and we're all born with this spark of, of consciousness uh, deep at the core of us, you know, and, and, and I like the word soul it, with all the connotations that that brings in, you know, we're all born with this perfect, shiny little soul. And they're, they're all the same. They're all the same value. They all have the same options. They were all made in the same factory in Detroit. You know, there's, there's no difference between any of them, right? We're all born with this thing. And it's, the, and it's that, that core, that like that little piece of us that I've dissected a lot of bodies. I've never found it. Okay. Uh, and a lot of other people have tried too. Yeah. You can't, weigh it, you can't measure it, you know, but you can see its effect. It's that thing that through sheer will moves the whole world around it. Mm. You dramatically <clears throat> change the whole world around it. This infinitesimal, undefinable thing at the core of us. And we're all born with one. And as soon as we're born, we start rolling downhill and we're like a snowball. <laughs> and as we start experiencing and experiencing, we get layer on layer on layer of the things that we encounter. And sometimes we roll over some dog shit, <laughs> you know? Sometimes we pick things up that are not good for us. We pick things up that are poisonous, that are negative. And we pick these things up at a time in our life when we, are, when we lack the experience and perspective to know that they're wrong, mm. right? These concepts that you're not lovable, these concepts that, you know, you don't deserve good things in your life because you never had them. And people who have experienced early, you know, early, you know, life trauma, abuse, other things like this, they incorporate these things into their sense of being, into their sense of who they are. And you develop this big jawbreaker of random things. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And, but none of them are true. Mm. None of them are truly who you are. None of them are truly what you are. And rock bottom is when that snowball falls off the cliff yeah. and it hits the bottom and all of that stuff 
gets blown away. All of it gets, you know, stripped away in that, in that moment, in that moment of death of the ego. And then you're left, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing because you, you essentially die, but then you're still there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something, that piece of you that persists, that true center of you persists and you can, you can get in touch with that energy in the, at the core of yourself, that meaning at the core of yourself, get in touch with your soul, however you do it. Yeah. then uh, that will lead you. With yeah, that's a new life right there, my friend. It is. Okay, five minutes. Here we go. Two more things. Yep. First, um, and let this lead into your question, how are you seeing God? Like we've gone through, this is what's going on with my family. This is what's going on at work. I'm putting myself at risk. Um, you have a minute or two, like for the listeners, um, how are we all going to get through this together? Um. What's the, what's the way we're going to do that? And then lead that, let that lead into how you're seeing God, because I think they're probably connected for you, given what you said a bit, yeah. a bit earlier. I think the way that we're going to get through this is we're going to get through this by acknowledging the truth of the situation. Which is? And I think, which is, you know, the truth of this situation is that we need to stay separate. We need to stay quarantined. We need to, you know, look at this for what it is. We need to use, you know, objectivity and <laughs> science and, our best understanding of, of what this enemy is that we're combating right now. And we need to let those things guide our decisions. We need to let the science guide our decisions about when we start reinteracting, about mm -hmm. how we start reinteracting, mm -hmm. about how we conduct ourselves right now, how we separate ourselves. We need to let that be our guide is really, is really how we're going to get through this. And those things are truth, mm. you know, by acknowledging the truth of this and the, the, I think the most blasphemous thing that you can ever do is deny the truth. <laughs> God puts the truth in front of you, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's the, that's the beauty of the beauty of this whole thing is that it's not a, it's not a rigged game, right? There's, there's a, there's no deceit here. The truth is in front of you. And uh, the, the ways that you get in trouble is by denying the truth, right? And so if we stick to what's true, if we stick to what we're seeing, if we stick to, you know, good science, good evidence, those things, and we're going to get through this just fine. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well said. And then you, your statistic of 85 to 90% are staying home. That's how, that's one way you're seeing God. I'd say so. Those? Yeah. And, and the, this, the, the amount of personal sacrifice that people are making right now. Mm, personal sacrifice. And, yeah. and I, I, and I see that I the, the personal sacrifice for the, for the greater good of our community, for the greater good of people that you've never even met. That's how I see God in this, in this pandemic. Good. Yeah. And, and that's true on an individual level of a family level. I mean, look at your family even, and I messed up earlier saying UC health, but banner health, you mentioned you're working together now. That's even true in like an organizational level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And you, you look at it in sports, you look at it in medicine. Um, you see all sorts of things, people, companies coming together, which is a beautiful thing. And hopefully once this is done and we can move on that we still do that. Still do that. I hope so. I yeah. hope we maintain that sense of increased community. Yeah. That sense of, 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 you know, that, that I, I hope that this, that this renews the social contract in America. Renews a social contract. Good line. I like it. Because I, th I think that it's been broken for a while, and I think that you see that in a lot of areas. But I hope that this renews that. Yeah. This yeah. renews our unity. That this renews. You know, we are a. We are this. We, we are supposed to be a 
a union of disparate thought, of disparate belief, of disparate lifestyles, of disparate everything. We were all supposed to be Americans, mm-hmm. you know. We are all supposed to be connected in in this very core way, and we were all supposed to work for the benefit of everyone else. Yeah. And that is the American dream. That is the yeah, American and purpose. And and I hope that this revives that. Yeah, and even go deeper level, humanity. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, one more minute. So here we go. Yep. Uh New Testament, this dude Paul is writing a letter to, to a bunch of Christians, a church in Philippi. This is Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go verses 11 and 12. He says this, I have learned to, by the way, he's in jail when he's writing this. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I've been to the top, I've been to the bottom, and in all of it, um, I know, like, I, I figured out how to be content. The word content here, it means the state of peacefulness, the state of satisfaction. For you, personally, uh, with yourself, with your family, as a, as a doctor in the midst of this pandemic, how are you learning to stay in a state of peacefulness and satisfaction no matter what happens? I think I always try to come back to, what, to why I'm doing what I'm doing, that meaning piece. Meaning means a lot to me, as yeah, if you yeah. couldn't tell. Uh, but, uh, you know, what is the meaning in, what, in every action that I'm doing? You know, how am I content about not seeing my kids? It's because I know that there's a greater meaning there. How am I content about exposing myself and taking care of patients in the clinic? Because I know that there's a greater meaning there. I know that I can relieve suffering, even if that suffering is that patient feeling alone. That patient feeling unsure, that patient lacking peace of mind. If I can help address that, if I can alleviate that, I've done my job. I've helped yeah. to heal. So, why? so knowing what my meaning is, that's yeah. how I try to stay content. And your meaning right now is to help care for the rest of us who might be feeling sick. And so, Dr. Dan Bates, we appreciate what you do. We love you for what you do. We love you anyway. But we we thank you, and um, you're you're one of the people we look up to in all of this. And so thank you for what you do. Thank you for being on what's true for everybody. I've learned a ton. I can't wait to, to get this out there for the listeners. And so, all right. Uh, and uh, I know my wife listens to all of your podcasts. So I'm just gonna say, <laughs> Meg, I love you. There you go. <laughs> and well I miss done. you. <laughs> well done. We love you, Meg. Dan loves you more, but um, you're fantastic. Keep, keep, keep going. All right, Dan. Thank you, doctor. All right. Thanks, Appreciate Matt. It. Have a good Bye-bye. day. Stay you safe. Too. You too.